Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find about plants fighting off invaders and recovering from damage. Now plant cells are pretty special, and the way that they're able to regenerate relies on a couple of complex mechanisms. Plus we find out what happens when plants get invaded and under attack from fungal infection, and what plants do to fight back and how those fungal invaders manage to overcome even the most sophisticated of plant defences. All this week and more, plants and the ever going arms race. One of the incredible things about plant life, aside from being some of the earliest life here on the planet, creating oxygen in an environment for us to be able to breathe, feeding us and other creatures on this planet, plants are also very interesting organisms because they're able to regenerate and recover from growth. If you've pruned a tree or a plant or a shrub and seeing it flower again, or taking a grafting of a plant and then planted it itself, or maybe spliced it, there's a lot of interesting things that you can do with plants, offcuts, offshoots, and cut them and watch them regenerate and repair themselves. Now, compared to humans or animals, when we get a cut, well, the way our body responds to that injury is interesting. Blood rushes out of the wound, you get the closing attempting to seal over the wound surface, and then the repair begins on the body's cells. The problem is that kind of approach doesn't really work for plants. See, humans and animals, we have cells that move around, that we have specific dedicated cells that go out of their way to help find, approach, rush to, and close over, coagulate and seal up that wound. Then on the underneath side, start to heal that damage. That's why if you have a cut, you're not left with a permanent scar normally. Okay, sometimes you get big injuries that do leave permanent marks, but for the most part, our body's cells are actually able to recover and treat a cut or a wound. Now, the thing with plants, plant cells have a thick cell wall and they're normally mobile, so they can't travel to encapsulate or spread out or change or adapt easily to deal with such cuts. But we've known for ages, for hundreds of years really, that plants are able to regenerate in their own unique way, despite the differences in our cells. And what they do is the cells around the damaged or injured cells multiply or grow to fill in that void. But it's a really precise process guided by what needs to happen in that particular region. Each cell effectively makes this decision around what it needs to do to fill in the gap. But ever since we've started to formulate and study this with microscopes in detail, all the way back in the mid-19th century, we still don't actually have a really good idea of what's happening here. That's exactly what researchers from the Institute of Science and Technology in Austria have been investigating in the research group of Professor Jean Frimmel. Now, they recently published a journal in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences where they outline a detailed study about the mechanisms and techniques used by plant cells to help guide this recovery process and lead to this regeneration. Two lead authors on this paper are Lucas Hermeyer and Juan Carlos Mostestinos. And what they've been investigating is two things. First is how flexible plant regeneration and robust it is, and the mechanisms that help govern and control it. And they did this by shooting laser beams at some plant cells. Okay, it's a bit more complicated than that, but I'm telling you, it does involve shooting lasers at plant cells. So what they did is they took some thale cress root, 
and particularly look at the root of this plant because what you often see with plant and protection of plants is that you want to keep the roots healthy. If the plant's roots are healthy and not cut, then they can survive a lot of damage up top because what's getting the water and the nutrients out from the soil is still working well. So studying plant root damage is incredibly important for understanding plant survival. And plant roots can be damaged by people, excavators, gardening, construction, or even animals, digging burrows, or just general damage from sandy soils and erosion. So plant root damage is a, a pretty important thing to study. So by taking this thalcrest root and shooting it with a laser beam, they could then track the cells around that area where the laser cut its path. The reason why they used a laser is because they can be incredibly precise about targeting which cells, which also makes then tracking the neighboring cells very easy to do. So by using this precise method of cutting, as well as precise method of tracking the neighboring cells, they could see what happened time and time again in the repeated parts of this study. So what they found is that a hormone was released by the plant cells. And this hormone called auxin is pretty essential for plant growth and development. But it's also, as they discovered, very important for healing up wounds. What it does is it builds up the cells directly touching that cut, that gash created by the laser beam, and helps the plant respond to the injury. Now what they found is that if you start messing with that amount of the hormone auxin, well, you get some pretty strange results. Either too much response, or no response at all. And what that means is that auxin, this hormone, is helping regulate the healing and regenerative process. You either get no cells or too many cells responding to the wound. With no cells responding, well, then that's no good, the wound doesn't heal. But with too many cells responding, you actually end up with a tumorous-like swelling of the overall root, which is even worse than the injury itself. So it shows that the plant itself is coordinating through the regulating hormone auxin how much regeneration needs to occur and precisely where, which cells need to regenerate and which cells don't. But what they also saw is some really subtle pressure changes occurring inside the plant. Now, when the cells get damaged, they collapse and this creates a pressure differential. And when you start to reduce the pressure anyway before cutting the plant, you don't get a pressure differential when it's cut and you don't get any regeneration or you get a weakened regeneration. That means that the sudden pressure differential created by damage or burst cells is important for identifying exactly where in the plant needs the attention. It's a way that the plant can identify which parts have been cut simply by monitoring the pressure levels inside the plant and the organism itself. So by messing with the amount of this regulatory hormone auxin and by adjusting the pressure, the scientists are able to identify some of the key mechanisms used by plants to help identify where a problem is, monitoring the pressure, and help fix the problem with regeneration, which is using the hormone auxin to promote growth or not promote growth. This helps us understand how these plants respond to a cut or a bleed and helps us get a good idea about the mechanisms used here. But we still have a lot to learn about exactly how plants respond to and deal with cuts and threats, particularly in roots. Some great research published in the journal, the Presidium of the National Academy of Sciences with lead authors, Lucas Hermeyer and Juan Carlos Montesinos.
to fending off pathogens or any other kind of infection, it's always an arms race between the host and the invader. In this case, we're going to talk about fungal infections. And when it comes to fungal infections, they can be pretty devastating for crops. If your crops manage to get some white mold growing on them or wilt, that can lead to the plant itself wilting and dying and it can spread across your entire crop. This is a big deal for everyone who are just growing flowers or trees in their own garden to those who are growing things like, well, cabbages, potatoes, legumes, strawberries, you name it, all these kind of things that can be affected by this kind of fungal wilting or mold. And it can be pretty bad for your crop, it can kill off all the plant itself and it's bad news for all involved. So understanding how the plants respond to these kind of fungal infections, these fungal pathogens, is incredibly important. Now some plants actually have developed a mechanism to ward against these fungal invaders. Take for example cabbage plants or things in the cabbage family. Things like rapeseed radishes and mustard. Now they have a mechanism, they've developed a mechanism to fight back against fungal invaders. And the fungal invader in particular they're fighting, as an example is Sleratina sleratorium, which is a fungal pathogen that can affect about 400 different types of flowering plant species. And what you get when this hits you is a Sleratinia wilt or a white mold. You get these visible white cotton-like fungal spores that overgrow all over the plant's leaves and stalks. It's a big deal in agriculture for rapeseed, but also for other plants like cabbage and potatoes, as we mentioned. So this type of detrimental fungus goes after these plants. But cabbages and things in the cabbage family, like radishes and mustard, as well as cabbage plants, they have a fighting back mechanism. They deploy something to fight the pathogens called the mustard oil bomb. Basically what happens when the plant tissue is damaged, it releases toxic isothiocyanates, and it helps form these isocyanates to actually fend off the attackers. This is part of the arms race between fungal infection and plant responding. The problem is this particular fungal pathogen is actually very good at detoxifying and fighting back against this defense mechanism. It's exactly what researchers from the Max Planck Institute for Chemical Ecology and the University of Pretoria have been investigating and they published in the journal Nature Communications. Lead author on this study is Jinghua Chen and under the direction of Principal investigators like Daniel Vassal and Director of Department of Biochemistry Jonathan Goshenzon. So the reason why these researchers were targeting in particular the mustard family is they wanted to know, as Jinghua Chen points out, how successful plant pathogens overcome the plant defenses and colonize these plants. We asked ourselves whether widespread fungal pathogens have strategies to adapt to the chemical defenses of plants of the cabbage family. And they needed to look at this because understanding how plants respond to these fungal invaders and how fungal invaders counter that response is important for then developing that next generation, that next level of defense. Now, a lot of plants have this mustard oil type bomb and what they use inside that is actually these glucoisinolates. And they're pretty effective and the research showed against fungal attacks. Problem is, this white mold fungus actually goes and detoxifies these defensive substances in not one, but two different ways. The first is a common pathway that's actually used in general for all kinds of things like insects and mammal toxins. But basically, it binds the gluathion to the isocyanate toxins. This is, again, really common. Even mammals have this kind of general pathway. The second is a far more unique mechanism for detoxification. Now, 
This is a way to render the isocyanates harmless by hydrolyzing them. Hydrolyzing means effectively to use an enzyme to carve away the water molecule, to basically detoxify them by making them water-like. Now, the researchers wanted to identify which enzymes and corresponding genes were being used for this detoxification mechanism. Now, we've seen in prior research that there are genes that help successfully detoxify these substances which have been seen in bacteria, not in fungus. They're called the Sachs genes after experiments with the model plant Aparidius felinia, survival in Aparidiasis extract. So they, they have a fancy name for this mechanism, these genes. Now, they're grouped into a couple of categories like the bacterial Sachs A, and they use the proteins from that to help guide their investigation. So they were using these genes to see whether they're expressed in greater quantity when the fungi were exposed to toxins and to see whether or not the resulting protein produced by these genes was what was being helped to use to render the toxins harmless. So basically, we know that there are some genes, we've seen at least in bacteria, and now in fungus, that can be used to increase production of a protein. This protein helps create or hydrolyze these toxic parts, these isocyanates, and that means that you can actually end up with the fungus having free reign, with the toxin meant to fight them made harmless. And they did this comparison by taking this fungus with the Saxa protein and also fungus without the Saxa protein. So basically one without it, mutants created to see the effect of this. And what they found is that the Sax protein is actually incredibly active in the white mold fungus against a range of isocyanates, which is why it's able to colonize and spread across so many different plants of the cabbage family. The ones that were produced that lacked this detoxification gene still managed to infect and spread, just not as well. That initial mechanism we talked about, that first general pathway, well, that was effectively just ramped up because that was the only fight back mechanism now the fungus had. So it wasn't that it was stopped in its tracks, but it was greatly hampered. So this Saxa protein is incredibly important for the white mold fungus for being able to colonize and spread and stop the defensive mechanisms deployed by the cabbage and other plants. So cabbage releases this isocyanate to help stop infections in its track, but fungus has developed not one but two different strategies for getting past these defenders and neutralizing them. And important to that is the Saxa protein. Now the next step, of course, is to see just how widespread the use of this protein is now that they've shown that it can be done in fun a particular fungus. Does it work in other unrelated fungus families? And how they can figure out a way to determine or get a gene in the plants to fight back better against this detoxification pathway. So as in any arms race between an invader and a defender, at the moment, the fungal infection has the advantage. This defense mechanism developed by the mustard plant species are being defeated quite easily by the fungus. So if we want to develop hardier plant species, and this is an area of, of opportunity and further study. This is great research from the Mac Planck Institute for Chemical Ecology with lead author Jinghua Shen, published in the journal Nature Communications. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, Lagrange Point. This week we find how fungal infections actually detoxify and remove all the defences in plant species, plus shooting a laser at some plants to help discover the regenerative mechanisms inside. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.